Well, good morning. Like I said earlier, my name is Ben, and we are so incredibly excited that you guys are here with us as we continue forward in part two of this four-part series that we're in throughout the month of November that we're calling Overflow. And whether you're checking us out online, you're here in the room with us for the very first time or back for the first time in a really long time, or you call Core Home, man, we could not be more excited that you're here during this particular series. Because what we acknowledge is this, is that while this series may come with a little bit of tension for us and a little bit of uncomfortableness, what we also believe is this, is that this particular series has the potential to unlock something in all lives and to change us in such a way that it changes the trajectory of our future. You see, throughout this series, we're really acknowledging and addressing two things that exist in all of us as humanity. The first is this, that there is this common tension that all of us share in our lives. But the second is that there are also common desires that all of us have deep inside of us, regardless of who we are, regardless of what we come from, regardless of what socioeconomic status we classify ourselves into, that there are desires we all want to see come to fruition in our lives. And this series is an opportunity for us to explore the possibility that if we were capable of allowing that tension that exists in all of our lives to collide with our deepest desires in a healthy way, then maybe, just maybe, we could begin to see those desires come to fruition in our lives, in our futures, and in our stories. You see, what I believe with all of my heart is this, is that for all of us as humanity, there is this common tension that we share. And the tension is this, is that for all of us, regardless of who we are, we all have overflow in our lives. And no matter how young or how old we are, when we look close enough and we get honest enough, when it comes to our time and when it comes to our finances, all of us have a certain degree of overflow. Now, all of our overflows look a little bit differently. Your overflow may look different than the person sitting next to you, but regardless of that, whether you have 75 cents of overflow every single month or $3,000 worth of overflow, when we get honest enough and look close enough, the overflow exists in our lives. Whether you have 10 minutes of spare time every single day or you have four hours of spare time every single day, all of us have a certain degree of overflow. And that in and of itself is not the tension that exists in all of our lives as humanity. You see, the tension is this is that for all of us, every single day, we get to choose how we use that overflow. But what we also have acknowledged throughout this series is this, is that we all share some common desires in our lives. And last week, we kicked off this series by acknowledging one of those common desires. How do we live a life of significance? That if we were all to get honest, we would all be forced to admit that we all want to live a significant life. We want to tell a significant story with the days that we have left here on this earth. Regardless of if you're a middle school student, a high school student, a young adult, or you're in that other category of just slightly older than young adult. That all of us want to tell a great story and live a life of meaning and purpose and know that the world has changed for the better because we were in it. And yet what we came to recognize last week is this is that our greatest significance as human beings will always be found in our legacy. And yet the issue with that truth is this, is that so often in the world in which we live, how we build that legacy 
is a common misconception that many of us share. You see, we've been led to believe that the building of our legacy is best done by what we do for ourselves. The name placard on the door, how high we rise up on the ladder within our company, the amount of zeros that are attached to the end of the paycheck, the name we build for ourselves, or the amount of money we make over the course of our lifetime. Or we begin to believe that our legacy is what we leave for other people. That ultimately our legacy will be measured by the size of our inheritance or the company that we pass down to our kids or the last name that we've built for them. And yet what we came to discover is this, is that when we look at that way of building our legacy over time, what we'll come to find is that that kind of legacy really only stretches one generation, impacts a person or two people. And the significance built on, on that legacy will always fail over time. And yet a significance that outlasts our life is not found in what we do for ourselves or in what we leave for others, but is ultimately found in what we leave in others and what we do for others. That living a life of significance that leaves a legacy that outlasts our life and begins to not only change our lives and our kids' lives, but begins to change the world around us is done when our lives are about more than just us. The way in which we live our lives and the way in which we use our overflow becomes about more than just Ben Carver. That's when my legacy can't even be measured. That the ripple effect just continues to spread generation after generation after generation. A significance that I believe with all of my heart you want and I want deep inside of us. But that isn't the only desire that we share as humanity. How do I live a life of significance isn't the only question we ask frequently within our lives. You see, what I also know about myself and believe about you is this. Is that as human beings, we also frequently ask this question. How do I live a more blessed life? Am I right? That for all of us, we want our present and our future to be a life of more blessing. We want things like more peace, more joy, more margin, more contentment, and just more of the good stuff. And yet the question that we address almost every single week around here is this. Is if that's a desire that all of us share deep inside of us as human beings, how do we get that? How do we accomplish that with our lives? How do we make the necessary changes so that we can begin to experience a more blessed life in our present and for our future? And y'all, this is why I believe with all of my heart, you should consider following Jesus. Because 2,000 years ago, unlike any other religion that has ever dotted this earth, the God of the universe put on flesh and walked in our shoes. And the God of the universe not only met our greatest needs, but he came saying things like this. I have come that you may experience a rich and satisfying life. I want you to have life and have it to the full. And we have a God who loves us so much and is so for us that he wants the very best for us in spite of knowing the very worst about me, right here, right now, in our lives on this earth. 
And because he wanted the very best for us, not only did he come die on a cross to meet our greatest need, but he also came to give us instruction on how we lived the life he wanted for us, on how we experienced the best possible life on this earth with the time that we have left on this earth. And in knowing these desires that all of us possess, desires like how do I leave, uh, live a significant life? How do I have a more blessed life? He went to work at answering these questions with the time he had on earth. And what Jesus knew when he walked on this earth, the reason why he addressed this specific question head on, how do I live a more blessed life, is because what Jesus knew was this, is that on this earth, in this world, yes, even 2,000 years ago, there would be this common misconception on how we achieve that, how we live that out in our lives, and it would be this, that the way in which we live a more blessed life is by accumulating more for ourselves. That's what the world around us will consistently tell us, and at least for me, that is the mindset that is so easy to slip back into. That if I want more of the good stuff in my life, it means that I have to hoard the good stuff for me. That I have to accumulate it and hold on to it for as long as I can until I get enough of the good stuff that I can deem that I've finally arrived where I want to be with my life. And yet Jesus posed this thought. What if that was the backwards way of doing things? What if there was a better approach for our lives, our stories, and our futures that could actually better allow us to see those desires come to fruition in our story? A guy by the name of Luke, that maybe many of you know, because one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus that we have in God's instruction manual for our life was actually recorded by a guy named Luke. Luke was a doctor. He was incredibly skilled at detail. And at taking down facts and knowing the importance of facts for relaying a message. And so Luke went to work at recording for a guy named Theophilus in order to prove the validity of the life of Jesus and that he was who he says he was, recording everything that happened in the life of Jesus. But the cool thing is that Luke didn't stop there. That after Jesus had died and risen again, Luke just kept right on recording. And what we see is that Luke chooses to write another book that comes just after the Gospels that tells us what happened after Jesus came back to life. And after this first movement of Jesus' followers began to spread throughout Jerusalem and all the Mesopotamian rim. And as Luke was writing this account, he went back to something that Jesus said that faced this question that all of us have in our lives, this desire that we all possess head on and addressed it in the most Jesus, the most upside down way possible. We find it in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 35. Luke records this. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but when Jesus came and he put on flesh and walked in our shoes, 
He introduced this upside-down kingdom that was unlike anything humanity had ever seen. And this upside-down kingdom introduced things that were so ridiculously countercultural. Jesus began to introduce concepts and truths for all lives that nobody else was saying. And the reason nobody else was saying them was because nobody else believed it. Nobody else was living their lives this way. Like, how crazy is it to begin to think that the last shall be first and the first shall be last? Love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. That if you want to really live, you must die to yourself. That if you want more blessing for your life, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You see, the world has always operated by the opposite standards. If you want to be first, you push everyone else down. That if you want to live your best life possible, you do things like get payback on your enemies. Put yourself and your, your wants first. If you want to be important and feel good, get as much stuff as you possibly can in your time here on earth. And while all these things seem logical by the world's standards, when we look at these things through the magnifying glass, what we find is this, is that over time, each of those methods always fail. They always come up short at producing the results towards the desires that we have in our lives. They never last. But then Jesus came with this upside-down approach that was promised to bring a life of significance and blessing and contentment. But they were truths that, frankly, didn't make sense until you tried it. Until you began to live your life according to these upside-down approaches. It's the reason why we as a leadership team strive to, to lead this church, strive to lead you individually and us collectively, strive to make decisions for us organizationally in our city and in our world underneath of this value that we believe with all of our hearts it's important for us to lead the way with irrational generosity, that we were called as Core Community Church to lead the way with irrational generosity, that your life and your future is ultimately better when you make the decision to lead the way with irrational generosity. But leading an organization, reaching into our city and our world, living your life according to that value requires a trust and a belief that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You see, what I believe when I look at you guys and really at humanity in general is this, is that deep down, all of us have the hearts to live this way. We all want that because we've all had enough experience in our time here on earth to recognize that there is just something special about sacrificing yourself for the betterment of others. There is nothing on this earth that beats the feeling of being willing to put yourself out there and to do that and to stand in the gap for someone else and to see them succeed because of your sacrifices, because of your risk. All of us deep down have the heart to do that. But what I also know about myself is this 
is that while all of us have the heart to do this, there is this question that continually creeps in to our lives and our minds. It's this, that while I may have the heart to live with irrational generosity, do I have the resources? Do I have enough to live with irrational generosity in my life for the present and for the future? Because if I don't have enough, then giving isn't even a possibility, right? Living with generosity isn't even a possibility if I don't have enough. And 2,000 years ago, a guy by the name of Paul addressed this tension of enough that exists in every single one of our lives. This question we all face on almost a daily basis of whether or not we have enough. And yet he addressed this tension, this struggle, this question that all of us face on almost a daily basis in our life by using a group of people. A group of people facing unfortunate circumstances who he described as dirt poor, to begin to redefine and shift the lens through which we looked at that one word, enough, through. We find it in this letter he wrote to regular people like you and I, as he was writing letters to churches across the Mesopotamian rim of people just trying to figure out what it looked like to do life and to meet some of these deepest desires that we have in our lives. He writes this in his second letter to the church in Corinth, and we pick it up in chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy. Here we see the tension and the desire collide right smack dab in the middle of this passage. Seemingly by the world's standards, they don't have enough. Paul describes them, they are very poor. And yet somehow they are living a life filled with abundant joy. There is a happiness that is unexplainable in the midst of difficult circumstances. How is that possible? This abundant joy, which is overflowed, there's our word, in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. You see, Paul never once shied away from the fact and using these Macedonians as his example, that these people were dirt poor and by the world's standards, they did not have enough. And yet somehow in their lives, they found it possible to live out this understanding that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. How, in the midst of their dirt poorness, if that's a word, were they capable of doing this? Because they understood something that I so often forget. In my first world problems, something that so often slips my mind. They understood this, that enough isn't an amount. Enough is a mindset. Enough isn't an amount. 
enough is a mindset. And ultimately what this means is this, is that if you and I want to live a more blessed life, have more of the good stuff right now and into our futures, we have to adjust our mindsets. Because when enough is simply reduced to an amount, we will never have enough. And thus, we will always lack things like more peace, more joy, more margin, more contentment, and more of the good stuff that we want in our lives and in our stories. But when we can shift our mindset, how we operate out of our overflow, whether it's 75 cents a month or $3,000 a month, not only will how we operate with that overflow drastically change, but the stress with which we operate when it comes to our resources can also drastically decrease. And y'all, I'm willing to bet that if you're anything like me, that when it comes to your time and your money and the overflow of those two things, handling those things with a little less stress is a desire that we could all admit to. Am I right? And if those things were a little less stressful, life would be a whole lot easier. And you see, I wanted to model what this looks like in our lives. If you would humor me for a second, and I promise no one in front of you or behind you will see this because it will be hidden, would you be willing to just put your hands in your lap? As you put both of your hands in your lap in front of you, I want to challenge you to simply make a fist with both of your hands in your lap. And what you'll immediately notice is this, if your hands are like mine. In making a fist, you can visibly see the stress that is put upon your physical body in making a fist. The tendons of my arm begin to come forth out of my wrist and down my arm. The veins begin to bulge in my wrist and out of the bottom of my hand. That there is visible stress in the straining of living with a closed fist. But when you open your hands in front of you, what immediately happens to all of that stress? The tendons recede back into your arm. The veins are no longer bulging out from your wrists. The stress melts away. And you see, the same happens to us mentally through the way in which we choose to approach our overflow. You see, when we continue to live our lives from a closed fist mentality, that I will only ever be able to have enough when I accumulate enough for myself. And in order for me to accumulate enough, I have to hold on to everything I get and to allow that to continue to stack in my life until I finally reach the standard, the bar that I've set of what will be enough of an amount for me to be happy. But when we begin to live with an open-handed approach to life, and we begin to realize that enough isn't an amount of accumulation, but enough is a mindset. What happens is the stress in all lives and the stress that comes from how we handle our money and how we handle our time begins to evaporate along with that changed mindset. And I think it's appropriate for me to make note of this. Changing from a closed-fisted mindset to an open-handed mindset when it comes to our resource and when it comes to our overflow does not mean this is an I-don't-care approach or a hands-off approach. Like, well, whatever happens, happens, and it's all good. 
No, making that shift in all lives from a closed-fisted approach to an open-handed approach requires work, especially initially. But putting in that work ultimately will allow us to live a more blessed life and allow us to operate with less stress. And so in addressing that question of how, how do we make this shift? It boils down to us being able to shift our mindset in three distinct ways. The first is this, that we must make a choice in our lives to shift our mindset from not enough to more than enough. Just one chapter after Paul had used the Macedonians as his example of these dirt poor people who were still finding a way to live out generously in their lives with what they had. Paul makes this revelation to, to the people of what it looks like to change this mindset in your life and to begin to see your life through a different lens and see your stuff through a different lens. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he writes this. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Now, y'all, in this moment, I get it. You're like, Ben, I've lived so much of my life believing that I don't have enough. Things are always tight. I always feel like I'm living paycheck to paycheck. And what are you telling me? Just because you recommended it from stage, that there's something magical, that if I just believe it, I'm going to stand up from my chair and walk out those doors, and I'll just magically think I have more than enough. And the reality is that's not what I'm suggesting. But here is what I'm suggesting. You see, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is get organized. And when it comes to shifting your mindset from not enough to more than enough, the most tangible way that you can get organized to allow that shift to happen, hang on, y'all, the B word's coming out, is to make a budget. It's to make a budget. And here's essentially what happens when we take that step. I told you, right? Like, shifting from a closed-fisted mentality to an open-handed mentality will take some work initially. But over time, that work will pay off. And getting organized in such a way to make a budget ultimately does this. It allows these two things to happen to your mindset. The first is it makes your overflow noticeable. When you make a budget and you sit down and you track where your money is going and how much money should be going where... Every single month, it makes the overflow you have, whatever that may be. Again, we come back to whether that overflow is 75 cents a month or $3,000 a month, it makes that overflow necessary because here's what a budget does. A budget allows you to see your needs and then your wants. And it gives you a clear picture of the spending that you have on your needs and on your wants. And when you do that, it allows you to say one of two things as you assess that budget and the spending that you have on your wants and your needs. Gosh, we really do have more than enough. Now that I see it on paper, we really do have more than enough. Or secondly, gosh, we feel like we don't have enough, 
because we're spending entirely too much in this one particular area of our lives. And what does it look like for us to begin to cut back and to make some changes to the spending in that area of our lives in which we are spending entirely too much? And it signifies the wants and the needs, and now we can say, I have more than enough because it feels like I'm living to paycheck I'm living paycheck to paycheck, but here I can see our budget for five bucks every single month. And I did 11 espressos. If you weren't here last week, that means Starbucks. It's going to have to change to six bucks as the joke here pretty soon. I have 11 charges at Starbucks over the course of the last month. Or we spent 120 some odd dollars on this level of package for our cable bill or whatever it looks like. It allows you to say, all right, now what adjustments can we make to some of our wants that allow us to increase that overflow in our lives? And so not only does it allow you to see your overflow, but now it allows you to make the necessary adjustments to live in a healthy way out of that overflow. To begin to live like you have more than enough. That with a budget, we can make practical, informed decisions that allow us to begin to live a life that leads the way with irrational generosity. And y'all, here's what I acknowledged. Last week, man, some of y'all, a lot of y'all, took some incredible steps. Incredible step of risk and sacrifice. You stepped into the uncertainty, into the unknown, Not knowing how it was going to work, recognizing that you might have to cut back on something in order to stand in the gap for some little boy or some little girl in the middle of Guatemala City or in the middle of Uganda, Africa, who had no idea where their next meal was coming from, whether or not they would have clean drinking water, who couldn't afford to go to school tomorrow because they had nothing to their names and their parents had nothing and in the middle of a famine. And that you stepped out and you took a risk and you stood in the gap to make your life and your resources and your overflow a means to an end that wasn't just you. And that was a huge step and I absolutely love it. And I'm so ridiculously proud of y'all. I mean, I love this place and getting to do life with a group of people who live out that kind of generosity. But what I also know is this is that the reason I do what I do, or at least part of the reason I do what I do, is because I love each and every one of you, and I want each and every one of you to experience the promises of Jesus in your life every single day. To be able to communicate truth that allow all of us collectively, yes, myself included, y'all, you think I'm speaking to you, I'm reading my own mail from this stage every single weekend, that allows us to experience a rich and satisfying life that Jesus wanted for us, not on the other side of death, right here, right now, for all of eternity. And experiencing that in our lives means putting a practical plan together to ensure that we use our overflow for a more blessed future. And so we make this shift through a practical plan to see we don't not have enough, we have more than enough. And then secondly, we shift a mindset from my resources to God's resources. The Israelites in the Old Testament, their leader, said this, but who am I and who are my people 
that we could give anything to you, God. Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. You see, this shift is a fairly simple concept, and it boils down to one question, and I feel like I'm full of questions this morning, but it boils down to this one question. Am I the owner or am I the manager of my stuff? Because if we simply view ourselves as the owner of our stuff, what that means is that I am simply a spender. I am spending my money on me. My money is for me and for me only. When we are capable of making the shift and seeing ourselves as simply the manager, something that wasn't even ours to begin with, like this passage says, something that was entrusted to us, we begin to see ourselves not as owners and spenders, we begin to see ourselves as managers and stewards. That the money you and I have entrusted to us was never meant to be just about me. My stuff was never a resource that's a means to my own end. It was meant to be about Ben Carver and Ben Carver only, or Ben Carver and my kids and just our family only. That when we make that shift in our mind, here's what happens, y'all. We begin to recognize that, that the purpose of the resources that have been entrusted to us as the managers, as the stewards, were not meant to be a means to my own end. They were ultimately meant to be a means that point to Jesus. Producing love and hope that an accumulation mindset could never give to a desperate and hurting world that needs us to stand in that gap. And hear me loud and clear, y'all. This is not about a God who doesn't want you to use some of your stuff to have a little bit of fun. That's not what this series, that's not what this morning is about. This is about a shift in mindset that allows us to see our stuff differently and ultimately live with our stuff differently so that we can begin to see some of our deepest desires come to fruition. And that happens when we make a shift that it was never really mine to begin with. And that truth changes everything. And then lastly, we make this shift from I'll give when, dot, 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 to I'll give now. You see, right after Paul tells this story of the Macedonian people, he immediately goes into practical application and so what I love about God's word is that he immediately gives this handlebars of how this should be lived out in their lives. And we pick this up in chapter 8, verse 11. This is what Paul relays to the church in Corinth. A bunch of normal people like you and I trying to figure out how. How do we do this? How do we live this out? And this is what Paul says. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. And I love this last sentence. Give in proportion to what you have. You see, this last sentence addresses this struggle in so many of our lives. You see, for so many of us, our ability to live generously is based upon a bar that we set. 
that when we reach that bar, then we'll be able to be generous. And here's how it typically goes for many of us. We find somebody in our life or someone that we know that we deem to be richer than us. And we make the determination that when I meet their level of richness in my life, that's when I'll be able to start giving. That's when I'll be able to start being generous for the world around me and for the sake of the betterment of other people. Or maybe it has nothing to do with finding someone who's richer than you. We just have that number in our minds, that bar. That when our family income reaches this amount, that's when we'll start living with generosity. That's when we'll be able to finally lead the way with irrational generosity in our lives. And yet what you know as well as I is this, is that life doesn't work that way. You see, studies prove that fact. Do you know that right here in the United States, the percentage of generosity, generous giving, actually decreases as people get richer Do you know that there's almost a full percent difference between people who make more than $500,000 and people who make less than $500,000 a year and their level of generosity? A percent decrease. The richer that people get, the richest of richest in our world actually become less generous. Why is that? That doesn't even make sense. It's because the habits you develop now will ultimately be the habits you live by later. And if you aren't generous with the little you have now, you won't be generous with the more that you have later. You see, as I look at this shift, what I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt is that when it comes to the way in which I view time, money, the overflow in my life, I am so ridiculously grateful for my mom. And if nothing else, parents, maybe this is just simply an example of the power of this. You see, when I was no older than eight or nine years old, I can remember working through a workbook of Dr. Larry Burkett with my mom. And as we worked through this money workbook at eight years old, They got me this first National Bank of Shelby bank bag, one with the zipper on top that you'd make deposits in. And they put it in the top drawer of my dresser, and inside they put three envelopes. And on the front of each envelope, I had to label it. One was for spending, one was for saving, and one was for giving or generosity. And every single month, my chore when when I was eight years old in the house was unloading the dishwasher. And my allowance for unloading the dishwasher was $3 per month. That was my allowance. And every month when it was time to pay up, my mom would walk into the bedroom with the $3 and they would break the last dollar up into change. And she would sit down with me and we'd pull that bank bag out of the top drawer of the dresser and pull the three envelopes out. And she'd say, all right, now here is how we do it. You're going to set aside 10% for saving. And we're going to put that into a savings account for you. You're going to put aside 10% for generosity or giving. And the other 80%, guess what, Ben? You can spend it on whatever you want. You can have fun with that. That's yours to do with as you wish. 
And every month we would sit down and do this until there came a time in my childhood in which my mother no longer had to sit down with me on the bed every single time I got my allowance. Because what she had instilled in me became habitual. It became a habit to me that I didn't even think about. There was no longer this internal struggle that raged in me every time money got slid across the table to me. And what I recognize is that the habits that were produced then are still living in me 30 years later. That there is not a fight between Krista and I when it comes to generosity. There's not this internal struggle of whether we should give or we don't have enough. That it's just become natural. You see, the reality is for so many of us is that the habits we produce now will ultimately be the habits we live with later. And with the overflow that we have now, what habits are we producing? And maybe getting over the hump is understanding this. Just like we said, enough is an amount. Irrational generosity is not an amount. Irrational generosity is a value we live by that says, I'm giving by the proportion of what I have. I'm doing everything I can with my overflow to stand in the gap. A means to an end that isn't Ben Carver. A life that's about more than just me. You see, we all wanna live a life that has the good stuff. A life and a future that's defined by more blessing. But it's so easy for us to look around and to take our cues from the people around us to take our cues from what's normal. Everybody else is doing what's normal. And yet if we got honest enough, what we'd be forced to admit is this. Normal isn't working. Am I right? The normal that we're operating by isn't producing a world full of people who have more joy, more peace, more margin, more contentment, and more of the good stuff. But what does work is this upside-down way of doing life that doesn't make sense until you try it, until you live it out. And when you're willing to begin to develop habits and put a plan together and to begin living generously, not based upon an amount, but on a mindset right here, right now, what I believe with all of my heart, y'all, is that it will begin to change your life. It'll begin to change the lives of the people around you. And it will begin to change the world in a way you'll never be able to compute, in a way you'll never fully see, in a way that will allow you to live a life of more significance and more blessing from this day forward. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, God, we thank you for doing what no other religion can claim, for being a God unlike any other God, a God who is willing to put on flesh, meet us where we were, solve our greatest need 
by paying for what we were supposed to pay for. But God, we also thank you for being a God who understood our deepest desires, went to work at addressing our greatest tensions, and wanted us to experience a rich and satisfying life, to have life and have it to the full. But experiencing your promises requires us to make some changes of courage. And so God, I pray for myself, I pray for us collectively, that in our lives we'll be able to shift our mindset and the lens through which we view our overflow this upside-down approach that can change our lives. That doesn't make sense until we try it. We thank you for who you are and how much you love us. It's in your name that we pray.